So it's just, just check. There's a big block in the middle. Oh. oh yeah. It's a dead to my own warren of fitness, um, just downstairs with the encounter group, our intermediates, and I let in four goals as the goalie. <laughs> I failed. <laughs> but they're really excited. <laughs> um, continuing our series this morning, and it was really pleasant as I was up front welcoming people to see Chris come in. Now, Chris and I have known each other. Actually, Chris, you're the first Kiwi I called friend. Um, he was part of our church plant in Sacramento. So go figure. The first Kiwi friend I have, I met in Sacramento, California. Go figure, huh? And Chris, no, he didn't commute from Sacramento. He's originally from Fielding, but he did commute this morning from Fielding. That's pretty cool, along with all his mates and his brother. So welcome. It's great to see you and give a big hug to Cindy. Um, yeah, um, we came from, we went from Sacramento, we ended up in D.C., and then from D.C. we came to Christchurch. And it's fascinating how when we look at the news today, the reality is not much has changed. Like we think a lot's going on and we see a lot happening. And, and not to minimise any of that, there is a lot going on and there is a lot happening. But when you read the newspapers and articles from years ago, they're really that, not that much different. So when we arrived, we arrived here in 2010, these are some of the um, articles that were out and about around that time. You know, this is a Time magazine, the agents of outrage, people are angry with America. Well, how has that changed? Sorry. Um, going on. This is the Times in 2011, Japan feels chill as crisis deepen, jobless rises, growth prospects falter. Gosh, this is like, same news, right? Um, Obama, the poor guy, is proving a brutal disappointment. But I guess you could put, rather than Obama, you could put Biden, right? Or other people's names there. It's, it's the same kind of news going on. Um, look at this one. Whistleblower, I can't allow the US government to destroy privacy and basic liberties. Much different from today. I'm going to go even further back to 1999. Remember the fear, for those of you who can remember, of Y2K. The world was going to end. 
It was really going to... You guys might not... This was in the period of time where me and my mates were building computers, you know, when, when you know, 32 gigabyte hard drive was massive and so expensive. And we were just freaking out. We were thinking people were pulling money out of the bank because they thought they'll never see their money again. People were stocking up because the world was literally going to end. This is a great um, funny piece, really, but it kind of gives us the state of things. <laughs> Breaking news. Scientists announced that pretty much everything can kill you. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that we're talking about breaks today. But what we think is absolutely crazy, look, the reality is it's always crazy. One of my favourite authors, Ed Stetzer, wrote this book in 2017, Christians in the Age of Outrage. And he unpacks, well, actually, we're not called to be outraged. We're called to love. And while the world will always be outraged about things that happen, we're called to be different. And he wrote that in 2017, and he's actually updated the introduction because rather than getting better, it's gotten worse since then. It's a great book, by the way. It really challenges us. And one of the things he says in the book is he says, you know, Christians just really need to just stop. We, as God's people, need to stop. When there is an emergency, who's the person you talk to? Generally the calmest one in the building who's knowing what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. Not the one that's screaming and raving and running around, right? What he's saying is if the world is outraged, we can bring God in the picture. But we need to stop ourselves and not get caught up by all that is going on around us. Today we're talking about brakes. Now, as a guy who doesn't know much about cars, I do know about brakes. Thank God. They're an important part in teaching us how to stop, right? And the question of asking you guys the importance of brakes, well, it's not really that hard to figure out, right? The way some Kiwis drive, I'm not sure they need brakes. Maybe some Italians do. I don't know. But brakes are important. They stop us. They slow us down. They, they, they save us. Well, how would your life look like if you hit the brakes in your life right now? What would your life look like? What would difference would it make if you hit the brakes right now, just stop. What difference would that make in your life right now? I have a tendency to run at a thousand kilometers an hour. Why? Because there's insecurities within me that tell me that if I can at least show people that I'm busy, then I can justify who I am. But there are times in which you've just got to stop and turn to God. 
We're kind of like that video of all these cars flying by. No one's stopping. And if you stop, you feel like, what am I going to do? Am I going to cause traffic? People are going to see me on the side of the road. They're going to laugh at me. We're so caught up in that traffic speed that God's calling us. You know what? We need to just stop. We need to just hit the brakes. This week more than ever, I felt like, Rob, you are just out of control. And I need forgiveness for that. I need to repent. My out of controlness then actually then goes on to other people. My family, my friends, my church. And by the way, I use my not as in I own the church, but as I am part of the church. And I mean that honestly. I, I, I've got to repent. My busyness is not allowing God to seep through me. How much more for you right now? And I realize it in the way I respond to things. I realize it in the way I say things. Monica, Paul, last night we, we, we got her onto Assassin's Creed. <laughs> and she's playing that and having a whole good old time. And I'm in the bedroom because usually Saturday night I just want to focus on sermon stuff and just kind of get my head around what I'm going to be saying this morning. And then she wants to stop and it's kind of late. And she comes in and she asks, hey, Rob, I don't know how to save it. And I'm like, you better learn. That was my response. Don't ask me, you've got to learn how to do it. And, and then she's like, I don't know, I've tried everything. Well, you know, Google can tell you anything you want. And I went back to working on my holy sermon. <laughs> and she's like, oh, oh. So, and she was apologetic the whole time. And I got back in bed and I was tired and I was like, what a jerk I am. By the way, sorry, babe. Busyness, doing, doing, and you don't realize how you respond. So I'm going to break down for you this morning my favorite psalm. My favorite because it's short and it's easy and it's straight to the point. And it's the thing I most probably struggle with most. Psalm 23. And we're going to use this as kind of our breaks for this week. What I am challenging you this week is around prayer, but I want to challenge you with Psalm 23. I want to challenge you with the imagery from it, and I would love for you to just keep it in your minds this week. Go back to it, because the imagery in this is amazing. It, to me, it's so foreign. It's like, oh, how do we fit this into our lives? It starts with this. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He lies me down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And I think of all those hallmark things, you know, those fluffy, I'm thinking unicorns. And I'm like, yeah, this is just fantasy. Do you ever think that, that we could be like this with God? I don't. I don't know about you. Where do I fit this into my week? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me to lie down in green pastures beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Now, when we think of this, this is David, who's a shepherd, you know, working, you know, south of Bethlehem, 
For him, when we think of pastures, we think of an image like this, right? That's just lush and green. But that's a photo of Ireland. Uh, Israel is another country. So when we think of lush and green, we certainly don't think of this, do we? You see, the lush side of Israel is actually to the north, up towards, you know, Galilee, and further north into Lebanon. That's where the lush green is. For David, this is actually lush green, apparently. When we were in Israel in 2012, we had a rabbi teach us on the book of Exodus, and he took us, there's a little, we're actually behind us is a little town called um, Arad. And in front of you in this picture, you can't see it because it's really hazy, but in the distance, literally directly ahead, is the Dead Sea, and, bef- and beyond that is the hills of Moab and the country of Jordan. To the left of this photo, uh, your left, um, is, um, it, it would be Bethlehem, uh, Jericho, and beyond that, Jerusalem. And to the right, you're going all the way down to the Sinai Peninsula. Just to give you a picture, that's the desert that the Israelites would have walked through for 40 years. And for most of that year, it's arid. But you can't really see it, but there's actually green croppings coming out. And for someone who's used to just seeing brown, gray, and white, green is amazing. This is another photo. That's Alan Escott. You can't, you can't the lighting doesn't really do it. Oh, maybe on this side it does. You can just see that, that patch of green. And he said, this is the year where the the shepherds, they get out with all their, and they've got these funny looking goat sheep things. I don't know what they are, but they look shaggy and kind of weird. And he takes it, they go, this is green pastures for David. This is what David would have meant when he saw green. Oh, wow. And still waters. This is the, uh, I think it's, I can't remember, Gideon's Hole, I think it was called. Um, This is coming again, right? This is just down from where we were. There's a bit of water trickling through and a little bit of a pool. Again, just this oasis in the middle of arid nothingness. This little bit. That's all he craved. This is all he needed. Sometimes a simple just stop in the middle of the arid, barren, wastelands of this world can bring us just that little bit of green, that little bit of water. This is what David longed for when he wrote this psalm. He didn't have Ireland in his mind. And it's fascinating because I think here in New Zealand, we don't realize how green we are. We had friends of ours a few years ago come over from Australia and they're big travelers. They love going out in their uh, fascination with caravans and camping. I still haven't gotten that yet, but maybe someday I will. I'm a good European apartment dweller. But they go around Australia the whole time in their caravan and camping. So they decided to come over here to New Zealand, what they called the sixth state of Australia, which I'm not sure goes down well here. But um, <laughs> uh, they came over and, and, and he, they, they drove from Auckland down to us and they took their time coming around. And by the time he got to us here in Wellington, he was like, Rob, this place is so green. I can't get over it. I'm like, really? He's like, you can't believe it. It's green everywhere. They call it the desert road, but I just saw green. (laughs) Yeah, you're used to the Nullarbor, mate. That's different. (laughs) 
That's why it makes us so cheerful people here, while we're a little bit more relaxed than you Aussies. You know, we don't realise how green it is. But for many of us in our lives, we, we don't see the green. We just see life being what it is. Pushing us, what's next? Where's my to-do list? What do I have to do? How do I have to make it happen? Okay, go to bed, wake up, do it again. Push, push, push. And we lose colour. We lose the Lord. He wants to be that little bit of green in our lives. He wants to be that trickle of water in our lives. I made the mistake this last week, and it was the worst week to do it, but I did it because, you know, me. I went back to the gym. And because me, I thought I could do what I did the last time I went to the gym, which was a year ago. 50 squats, no problem. Three days later, I'm still hurting. Okay? You should hear me trying to get into and out of bed. <laughs> just fall, Rob, just fall. It helps. But the great thing at the end of that, water does not taste better. Or well, nothing tastes better than water, sorry. Right after working out at the gym. When you're thirsty and you're hot and you're sw- you just water. Oh, yeah. And I don't realise how much I actually like water but none of us can actually tell us what water tastes like. (laughs) Water? Fluoride? No. Many of us have maybe lost the taste of God in our lives. We've been working out, working out, working out. We're wondering why we're parched. We're wondering why we're dry. We're wondering why we're so arid. We've not hit the brakes. We've not stopped. And we've not allowed God back in to take control. Going on in this verse, it says this. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. And this is something I think we need to hold very close to ourselves. As much as he does love us, as much as he wants us to thrive, it's for his name. And for his sake, that we do what we do. Not your boss at work. Not even your partner at home. Not the nation that you put your banner under. Or the team that you root for. It's God. All and everything. And we get into this tendency, many of us Christians think, and this is what most probably drives us as well, we have this uh, uh, ability to think that we can really do this, if we could just fix this, if we've got the power within us, we can make this work. And you know, one of the things that drives, I know my wife crazy, but other people who know me is, I can't let go of an argument. You know why? Because I think if I keep talking, I can make it better. But I don't realise that sometimes I'm actually making it worse. So I'll keep pushing and keep pushing and trying to make it better and not realise I'm making it worse because I think I've got the ability to make it better. And for some of us in our daily lives, we do the grind, we do the grind, we do the grind, we think tomorrow's going to be different, tomorrow's going to be different, I can do this, I can do this. And we realise actually we can't, can't at all. And it's verses like this 
that we've got that says, now unto him who was able to do immeasurably more than we all could ask and imagine, he can do anything he wants in us. We can make this happen because he could do it in us. But at the end of that verse, it says this, according to his power that is work within us, to, to him, to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes I can really bring glory to God if I just shut up. Right? Other verses like Philippians, for I can do everything through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. The problem with that verse is we take it out of context and we start saying, I can do anything. I can make this happen. Why? Jesus, I'll make this happen. And then we think of God can do all this power through us but God is not about making or bringing power through us. He's all about the power that he can do in us. He's more, far more concerned about you changing than you changing the world. Does that make sense? He is far more interested in you changing than you having the ability to change the world. I think it's really easy for us to think we can change the world, even though it's impossible, but we still try. It's actually us changing within. The power that he gives us isn't for us to change the world, it's to change us. And then through the change in us, the world changes. It's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? You think we've got to do something to change, but we can't. The world wants you to change for your benefit. God wants you to change for his benefit. We all have this divine tag on the back of our necks. You know, like on the back of your shirt. It says, made by God for God. That's challenging, eh? Because as he does lead us, as he does bring us through, valleys will appear. And who do we turn to when we walk through those valleys? The most quoted verse in Hollywood, apparently. More movies quote this verse than any other verse in the Bible. Even though I walk... Through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How do we walk through the valley without him? How do we, how can we do that on our own? And yet some of us are doing just that. We're not stopping. We're not allowing him to work in us. Silence can be an awkward thing. Stopping is equally awkward. When the clicker doesn't work, that can be very awkward too. I'm waiting for the next slide and it's not coming. You thought it was going to be deep and meaningful. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I heard someone share with me, you know, we think of goodness and love will follow me. It's an outpouring of who we are, but it's more like how God just bathes us in it. In fact, the word for follow, oh, I can't remember it in Hebrew, Rahab or Rapad, I think it is. It's the same word for persecute. <laughs> think about that. Surely your goodness and love will persecute me all the days of my life. But it just tells you how deep and entrenched and, and how personal it is. It's not just something that's going to kind of flow like unicorns and woohoo. It's, it's deeply embedded within us. His love and his goodness. We need to stop. We need to allow that green to grow. That those drops, those streams of water to refresh us so that his goodness and his love may grow within us. You know, this whole verse, this whole psalm is about God following us, being with us, leading us. And you read in the Bible, there's, it's, it's just all over the place. All over the place. He will never leave us or forsake us. It says it in Hebrews 13.5. He will follow us and, and be alongside us as we walk through the valleys. That says it in Psalm 23. But then it goes on even more. Abraham, he tells him, I am with you to bless you. To Jacob, he says, I am with you to keep you. To the nation of Israel, I am with you to strengthen you. To Jeremiah, I am with you to deliver you. To the nation of Judah, to the Jews, I am with you to save you. And to Jesus, he says to us, I am with you to the end of the age. So the question that you need to be challenged with this morning is this, are you with him? Are you with him? That's the challenge. I think sometimes we're not stopping. Our cars are just careering down the highways of life. And we're not stopping. We're not hitting the brakes. And we wake up one day, many years down the track, wondering, what was that all? What's going on? What's this all about? What's happening? When did I last stop? When did I last stop? I, I, I told you what happened with the last warrant of fitness my poor car went through. But I am glad that the brakes are fine. Now the question is, are the brakes fine in my life? And this week I found out, oh, maybe they're not. Maybe I just need to get them brushed up a bit. Maybe I need to just stop. What about you? Got a challenge for you, as I have every week. This week, who did the journal? Who, who, did anyone journal this week? Oh, you don't have to put your hand up. I don't, 
You're putting everyone else to shame, I know. <laughs> the challenge of writing a journal, I pray that, I mean, I'm not, it's, it's, don't think of it as homework. The whole Warren of Fitness series is just to get you to reevaluate you. And if you want to do that in group, uh, in life group, or with friends, all power to you. But ultimately, this is about you and your relationship with God. This week, it's the prayer challenge. Uh, if you've got five days, okay, Monday to Friday, take out five minutes in the day and just stop. Just stop for five minutes and lift your heart to God. No, no phone, no social media, no book, no music, just, just you and him. Stop, five minutes. Can you do that for five days? Just give it a challenge. If you want to go longer than five minutes, go for it. If you want to go longer for five days, please. But just start with this. And if you could keep up your other disciplines, journaling. What was the one before that? Reading your Bible, yeah. And five minutes a day. Just, just adding these little things that will help you connect closer to God. I'll give you a little heads up about prayer. At the end of this series, I am going to do a four-week series on prayer. I'm going to break it down into four parts, you know, in, in meditating, contemplating, calibrating, and lamentating. Things that we, we don't maybe do well when it comes to prayer. But don't worry, we'll break that down more further down the line. I'll give you some tools to work on that. Right now, I'm just interested in you connecting with God and just stopping. Taking time out in Whatever week you've had and whatever day you've had, and for many of us, whatever years we've had, because boy, it just doesn't seem like things are stopping around the world at the moment. Take some time out. Stop. Let some green grow in your life, in your heart. Nourish your soul with the Lord. And then you might actually begin to feel empowered to face the day with a bit more colour, eh? Amen? I'm ask the music team to come up. Father God...